Would you please take your Bible and turn with me to the book of 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 6. It's going to be a minute before we get there. Um, And so if you'll excuse my departure from the the typical standing of the text, it's not that we're not going to reverence the Lord's word tonight. I'm going to do my very best to do just that. But it's going to be a little bit to get there and so I don't interrupt that. Please know I'm not uh, trying to be disrespectful, all right? But we're going to read the text uh, in a little bit. 2 Kings chapter 6. Last night, for those of you that weren't here, and I do want to say how grateful I am for your attendance tonight, the hospitality that you've shown me. I feel very much spoiled um, how well I've been being taken care of. So thank you for that. But let's ask the Lord to help us this evening, and then we'll get into the message. Our Father in heaven, I come before you, Lord, very grateful, grateful to be able to open up your word in front of one of your churches, and I ask for your help now that I would be able to preach it correctly and effectively. I pray that your spirit would have free reign here this evening, understanding how busy these families are and these folks that have traveled distances or taken time out to be here tonight, I ask, Father, that you would answer their prayer, that you would speak to their heart, that you would give them something that will help them. I realize the main burden of this message is that we would see as we ought to, and I pray that you'd use this message to do just that. And Father, in a few minutes, we're going to be going through the text, and I pray that you would begin to even then open up the understanding of our hearts and our minds. I pray that you'd make application in ways I cannot, and I pray, Lord, that we will be quick to give you the glory for all that you will do. Thank you for the song service that we were able to be a part of and the truth that we were able to sing. I pray now, Lord, that you would allow our attention to be drawn away from the world around us and focused on the word before us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you weren't here last night, uh, we preached a simple message out of Hebrews chapter 12 on the importance of living by faith and then laying aside weight and sin. And then we ended the message with the need to look to Jesus. And if you remember, if you were here, I told you that that word is the only time it's found in the New Testament. It's a looking away so that you can look unto Jesus. And so now that we know where we're to be looking, to Jesus, I think most of us, we could answer that correctly, but we know that when we stand before the Lord one day at the judgment seat, it will not be a vocab test. It won't be a simple trivia. We are going to give an account, the Bible says, not just for our words, but also for our works. And so this looking is something that we're doing. It's something we believe. It's something that we are doing. But looking in the right direction doesn't always mean that we're seeing. It's possible to look and not see. If you remember the church of Laodicea, the Lord spoke to them in the book of the Revelation, and he said about them that they were poor and they were wretched and they were naked and these things. And you might ask yourself, how can a church allow itself to get there? Well, one of the adjectives used to describe that church was blind. But the Lord gave an answer. He not only said of their poorness that you should buy of me gold tried in the fire, and amen for that, and their nakedness to wear white raiment, But to the blindness, he said that he had eye salve. 
that could be applied. In other words, there's something that can be applied so the sight can be restored. In revival, we have to ask ourselves, is that where I need it? Am I seeing the world around me like I ought to see? So when do we know when we need to apply the ISAB, as it were? When do we know that we need to ask God to help us see and not just look? I believe some indicators are when we can look at the fields the Lord has said are white unto harvest, but instead of seeing a harvest, we see people but not souls. When we can watch the news, but yet not have understanding of the times. When we can follow politicians we like, but fail to pray for the ones we don't. When we can look at our children and see family, but we fail to see it's also our future. When we can look at our spouse and see a mate, but not the other half of a God-ordained picture of Christ and His church. When we can see the pastor preach, but not hear the Word of God. And when a pastor can see the church, and instead of seeing the flock of God, he sees merely an audience to hear him speak. When we can read the words on a hymn page, but not worship. When we can read the words on a scripture page, but not be fed. In short, when we can look, but not see. These are indicators of a need for revival. So it's not just where we are looking tonight, beloved. It is how we are seeing. In our text tonight, and I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand anyway, because I'm already, I already feel bad about that, all right? So stand with me. 2 Kings chapter 6. Say, this isn't your church. Who do you think you are? Amen? So 2 Kings chapter 6. There's a, a great account here that helps us understand the importance of seeing and not just looking. Would you join me in verse 8? Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of and saved himself there, not once nor twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. Now this is important. Because people who don't know God have the right to have their heart troubled. But as we're going to see tonight, hopefully, children of God ought not have their heart troubled. He called the servants in verse 11, said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord. O king, but Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. This man knows everything. And he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Dothan is a small city about 10 to 12 miles away from Samaria. Samaria is the capital of northern Israel, and it was an extremely well-fortified city. That's an important piece for toward the end of the message. So... Elisha's in Dothan, therefore, verse 14, he sent thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city both with horses and chariots, 
And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? Thank you. You may be seated. There are several things I want to draw out of this text this evening. And as we look at this thought about the importance of seeing, not just looking. But as we do that, I want to work through and I want to draw your attention to verse 15. And I want you to note that this servant of the man of God rose early in the day. Now, there's nothing in the Bible by accident. And I think it's safe for us to assume that the man of God would be about God's business. And the servant is trying to help in the Lord's business. And I think it's important that we take note that God's people rise early. Now, I realize if you work a different shift, I'm not speaking of that. But there is a principle here. That laziness really doesn't have a place in God's work. Laziness, slothfulness doesn't have a place in God's ministry. And so the servant rises early and he, has a, he sees a problem immediately. Now he rose early in verse 15, I want you to know this, and, and went forth. He, he has a task that he's supposed to be completing. Would you agree with that? He's rising early and he's gone forth and he's got a task that he has to accomplish. But he sees they are surrounded by horses and chariots and not a few. And his response to this is reasonable on the surface. This isn't good. I know that they're not here to say hello. Uh, he runs back. He talks to Elisha and he says, alas, which is this exclamation of, oh my, oh, master, how shall we do? Meaning, uh, how are we going to get out of this mess? And the first thing tonight I want you to see is the condition of the servant. He is fearful. He is confused. He is panicking, and this leads him ultimately to be unproductive. He stopped doing what he was supposed to be doing because of the present circumstance, and then he runs back in. And you might say, listen, before we judge the guy, and he's a young man, likely a, a, a teenager. Of course, we know what happened to Elijah's other servant by now. And so uh, he's a young man. You say, well, you know, give the guy a little bit of credit. But you don't see Elisha worried. But Elisha knows that they're there. Elisha's making coffee. Amen? He's, he's dropped the bagel in the toaster already. He's fine. He's going about his day. He's not worried. Why is that? Because he knows the reality. Now, th please get this tonight. What we see is real. But it's not just reality. There is a reality beyond what we see. And there are too many of us that live in what we see as if that is reality. But beloved, there is a spirit world that is real. The sooner we understand that, the better. But I think many times we are like this servant. We see what's going on around us and we feel as it were surrounded. We become fearful. We become confused. We begin to panic. And we become unproductive. We stop doing what we're supposed to be doing because we're distracted and we're stuck. And we believe like the servant did. How are we supposed to get out of this? There's no way out of this. This is the end. Here we go. This is how it all ends. But we know that that is not true. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, not only that we've not been given a spirit of fear, but a power and of love, but what else? A sound mind. A sound mind is important for the believer. 
Because it helps us temper our thoughts. It's a sober mind. If you would take your Bible, turn just quickly with me. I know you're familiar with this story, but I want to show you the importance of a sound mind in a situation that seems hopeless, overwhelming. It's found in the Gospel of Luke. If you would take your Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, and we're just going to look at this quickly. This is the story of a man named Jairus. His daughter is uh, very sick. He has uh, run to get Jesus. And good news, Jesus comes with him. Amen? What a good Lord. And on the way, the woman who's had an issue of blood for the same amount of years his daughter has been alive, reaches out, she touches Jesus, Jesus stops, he talks with this woman, and while all this is going on, Jairus' daughter dies. Now you would understand if Jairus is upset. This woman has had this issue for over a decade, and you're stopping to deal with her? My daughter is dying. There is an urgency here. And while Jesus is speaking to this woman, Jairus' servants come and they say, your daughter is dead. But here's the key. They said this, trouble not the master. In other words, look, we get it. It made sense. You can go to Jesus. You go to him and get help. That's all good and well. But now it's too late. It's too late. Trouble not the master. It's too late, she's dead. But Jesus, verse 50, when he heard it, he answered him saying, the exact two words Elisha will tell his servant, fear not. Why shouldn't he, why shouldn't he fear? Believe only. Faith conquers fear. Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. Now you know the story. He does choose to fear not. Amen? He chooses to realize this, and please get this tonight, that while everyone around him was saying, it's too far gone, it's too late, it's not going to happen, I know it was good to pray before, but now she's dead, now she's dead, don't trouble the master, he realized that the presence of Jesus is very significant. And while the circumstance has changed, Jesus' ability has not. And so he says, he chooses to believe only Jesus, and brings him to the house. And you know the story. Jesus raises her from the dead. It's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful account. The Lord calling to her. What we would say darling or little girl. It's, it's a very great account. And raises her from the dead. But this is what Paul's writing to Timothy. We've not been given the spirit of fear. But of power and of love. And of a sound mind. And here's the, the key here. Jairus. He exhibited the sound mind. Everybody else didn't. Now, the world would look at him and say, you're crazy. The physicians have said she's dead. We've witnessed that she's dead. The majority rules. But a sound mind believes the word of God. And so this faith overcame the fear. And of course, we see the Lord work. And so Elisha's no different with his servant. He says to his servant, back in our text, in 2 Kings chapter 6, I've got to get there myself, sorry about that. Back in our text, he says, fear not. So the condition of the servant is often like we are, and I hope that that's not the case for you. Fearful, confused, panicky, and ultimately, and this is, this is bad, unproductive. God help us not be unproductive Christians that attend unproductive churches because of our fear, our confusion, or are just stuck in neutral because of what's going on around us. 
But the blessing is, the second thing we see is not just the condition of the servant, but the comfort of Elisha. He says two words to him, fear not. Now this is beautiful because Elisha doesn't scold him. He doesn't say, what's your problem? Do you know who I am? Do you not know what, I, what has been going on? No, he realizes something, that while this young man sees in Elisha a humble man of God, a servant of God, a kind man who helps other people, so far all he's seen is Elisha, but Elisha doesn't want him to only know Elisha, comma, the man of God. He wants the young man to see God, period. He wants him to understand that Elisha has a God. Elisha has a ruler. And I want you to see, so listen, fear not, calm down. Everything is going to be okay. And then we see the confidence of Elisha because he says to him, there are more with us than with them. They, they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Now that is a fact. That is true. But he doesn't stop there. And I love this because as mature Christians, you have a responsibility to bring along less mature Christians. And throwing a devotional at them, fill in these blanks, read this, that's good. That may give them some facts, but what will help them a lot longer is for them to see your Lord the way you see your Lord. And so it was true that he shouldn't fear. It was true there were more with them than there were out there. But Elisha wanted him to see it. You see, the, the servant could look. That's already in our text. He could look around and see the army. But he didn't see God's. And that's why he was fearful. And so we see not only the confidence of Elisha. Well, why would Elisha have this confidence? Well, I believe, and I don't think I'm reading too much into this, that Elisha had confidence because of God's promises. Elisha would have had copies of the Psalms. Elisha would have known Psalm 3. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Elisha would have known Psalm 27. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me in this I will be confident. Confident is a Latin compound word, confide. It means with faith. The psalmist was saying very clearly, I'm going to trust in this. Well, trust in what? In the promise that even when surrounded by the enemy who mean the worst for you, God sees it and God's your protector and my heart shall not fear because I believe. I'll not be afraid of the 10,000s of people because I believe exactly what the psalmist says in Psalm 3. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord, and this blessing is upon thy people. And Elisha knew we are his people. And salvation is of the Lord. There's nothing to be afraid of. They had God's promises, and praise the Lord for that. But beloved, so do we. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, giving personal testimony, says, Our flesh had no rest. We were trouble on every side. Without were fightings. Within were fears. Have you been there? Without are fightings. Within are fears. Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down comforted us by the coming of Titus. Praise God for his people and for his promises. In Matthew 10, verse 28, Jesus 
says, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Long story short, there is one far greater than anyone here on earth. Matthew Henry says this, quote, The opening of our eyes will be the silencing of our fears. In the dark, we are most apt to be frightened. The clearer sight we have of the sovereignty and power of heaven, the less we shall fear the calamities of this earth. It's good to remind ourselves of that. He also said this, When we are magnifying the causes of our fear, we ought to possess ourselves with clear and great and high thoughts of God and the invincible word. If God be for us, who can be against us? Elisha believed that. So he tells them, fear not. He's putting his trust in God's promises, but secondly, he's also putting his trust in God's power. And this is where everything changes. Because it's one thing to believe God's promises. It's one thing to know that God gave them to us. It's a whole other to know that God has the ability, the character to keep his promises. Now, he knows what is needed in this situation. This young man needs to see. But Elisha knows this. This is very important. He can't do that. He can give him some facts. He can tell him Bible truth. But he can't make the young man see. But God can. But God can. That's why... He has God's promises, but he also believes in God's power. We see it in the next verse in our text. Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee. This is testimony. Hey, young man, I want you to know something. I'm going to say some words right now. I'm going to pray right now. But I'm asking God to do this. Lord, I ask you. Lord, I pray you. Open his eyes that he may what? That he may see. Perhaps that's the prayer we need to pray tonight for ourselves. Lord, open my eyes. That I would truly see. That I would truly understand. Now, the blessing is this. The confidence of Elisha had to roll over on this young man. Because then we see the company that arrived. Now they were already there. He just hadn't seen them yet. The Bible says in... Verse 17, and the Lord opened the eyes of the young man. What a blessing. And he saw. Amen. Lord, open the eyes of this man that he may see. He opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, it's like inviting us into the story. Hey, look at what he saw. What did he see? The mountain full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. God's chariots of fire are much greater than the chariots of flesh. And I don't think that that young man was worried anymore, do you? I think the fear not sunk in. I think the reality of more with us than with them sunk in because he saw it. He saw it. This is important for us because I believe that as Christians, maybe like those that attended the church at Laodicea, we've allowed things to scale over our eyes. We've allowed things to cause us to be able to look but not see. And I pray that if we realize that, we'll pray this prayer Elisha prayed, Lord, open our eyes that we might see. 
There's a great illustration of this in the New Testament. If you take your Bible and turn with me there to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. And then we'll go back to 2 Kings in the uh, end of the message. Mark chapter 8, please. This is a very interesting story. It's always intrigued me. And every time I read it, I seem to always learn something. I'm grateful for the depth of the word of God. Speaking of Jesus, in verse 22, He cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes, and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. Hey, do you see anything? Now, I want you to just stop and I want you to think about this. Jesus is known for healing people. Jesus has great crowds following him. Jesus is a miracle worker. And this man, Jesus, and this man used to have sight. The Bible says that his sight had to be restored. And we're going to see in a minute he knows what men look like, or at least they're supposed to look like, and trees. And so something has happened and this man has lost his sight. And Jesus takes him out. He spit on his eyes and he put his hands on him. Now usually when we see this, and everything's fine. But I I have to tell you, I read this and I just admire so much this man's honesty. Can you imagine if Jesus touched you, put his hands on you, and then said, you see anything? Have you ever had someone do something nice for you? They hear that you have a need. Maybe you have a a car repair. And they give you some money and they say, will this help? And you say, well, it really won't cover everything. I mean, we go, well, I mean, how about a little gratitude for what they did? But I, I tell you, I love this guy's honesty. Jesus asked him a question and he answered truthfully. And he said, well, I see men, but I see men as trees walking. I mean, if they weren't, if they weren't walking, I wouldn't be able to tell the difference between man and, and trees. So I'm really, I really not seeing as I, as I ought to. Now, the reason I want to bring this out is because we could use some honesty like this. We could use some honesty like this man had. Where the question is asked, hey, are you seeing like you're supposed to? And we say, sure, yeah. Yeah, I'll just adjust to what I have. I'll just adapt to what I have. But listen, beloved, don't settle for almost seeing. Don't settle for knowing just enough to know what shapes are supposed to be. This man didn't want to just see a little. He wanted to see clearly. And so he was honest with the Lord. Lord, I'm grateful for what you've done in my life, but I don't see everything like I ought to see. And there are some saved people here tonight that need that kind of honesty to say, Lord, I'm grateful for my salvation. I'm grateful for what you've done for me, but I have some things in my life, and if I'm honest, I don't see like I'm supposed to. But I want to. Here's what the Lord does. He, He acknowledges and blesses this man's honesty 
he says this, after he put his hands again upon his eyes, just the humility of our Lord, and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. This is the only time in the New Testament this word is used, clearly. And it's a beautiful word. It's actually a compound word that takes two Greek words that means the uttermost, the end, and the break of day, or a dawning. It means this, that he didn't just get sight restored, he got perfect sight. He could see all the way to the end. He could see clearly. There was a shining, there was an ability to see everything he was supposed to see. If I could say it this way, beloved, spiritually what we need, we need this kind of clearly. in our. There's too much muddy in the world. There's too many gray areas now in Christianity. What in the world? We don't need, listen, our churches today, we need some churches that see clearly Amen. some things, that are clear about things, that are able to see the end and say, well, what's the end? Well, here, here's the end. Here's the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. Amen? This young man could look, but he could not see. Elisha prayed to God, open his eyes that he might see. That's our prayer. Maybe some of us are like this man in Mark chapter 8. Would you be willing to be honest with the Lord tonight? Would you be willing to be honest tonight and say, I'll admit that I'm looking, but I'm not seeing like I'm supposed to? I want to look fully on your wonderful face. I want the things of this earth to go strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace, but I'm not there, Lord. Help me. Open my eyes. Cleanse my eyes. Restore my eyes that I might see. This is the prayer of the Apostle Paul for the church at Ephesus. If you take your Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. This is a, a group, this is a church assembled together. Paul, moved by the Holy Spirit, gives personal testimony. What a blessing it must have been to hear testimony of Paul's life. And then to find out that Paul prays for you. What a blessing. Here's what he says in verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Hey, did you hear that? Paul prays for us in his prayers. What's he praying for? Well, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. And the eyes of our understanding be enlightened. That's how they would receive this, because it's personal. This is real. Real people receive this. Christians like you and me. And Paul said, my prayer is that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. Why? that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And, and God help us, know this, the exceeding greatness of his power to usward. Who, who is that? Those who believe. That's what he says here. Beloved, we could use some of that. We could use that enlightening. We could use that knowledge that we would understand the greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. And he continues that what this power did, it was wrought in Christ. He raised him from the dead. Do you need that kind of power in your life? 
Is there anything that you have in your life, any prayer requests you might have that could use that kind of power? Then stop depending on earthly means. Stop depending on things here below. And look up. And when you look up, ask God to open your eyes that you see as you ought to see. He asked that the understanding, the eyes of their understanding be enlightened. We could go on and make more application here, but for time's sake, we're not going to. But you get the idea. This is, there's, there's not only one or two places that sight is referenced for the believer. That's what I'm trying to drive at tonight. The understanding, the seeing is important for the believer. I'd like you to take your Bible, turn back with me to 2 Kings chapter 6, because there's something else in this account that is important. This young man has had his eyes opened, and he can see clearly. He can see as he ought to. Charles Spurgeon said, The believer in Christ sees much more than any other. There's a proverb that says, seeing is believing, but that is not true. We see many things that if we are sensible persons, we do not believe, since our eyes are apt to be deceived, and optical illusions are common. But if we turn around the proverb and say, believing is seeing, we will often find it true. The one who has believed has the evidence of things not seen. He is like Moses, who, for, who by faith, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Faith is like new eyes. Eyes with a far wider range of vision than natural eyes can ever have. Eyes that see the truth of God. End quote. Do you see the Lord's truth tonight? In our text, as we close, the man's eyes were opened, but then Elisha prays another prayer. It's in verse 18. And when they came down to him, the army of Syrians, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness, according to the word of Elisha. Opened his eyes that he might see. Lord, close their eyes that they might not. Now, the Lord didn't make them completely blind. They were able to follow Elisha. They were able to go around. But they're not understanding things. They're not understanding what they ought. Elisha says to them in verse 19, This is not the way, neither is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom ye seek. But he led them to Samaria. And by the way, Elisha's not lying here. This is not one, a man of God being dishonest. The man they were, had been seeking was the king who was in Samaria. And so while they're after Elisha, he says, I'm going to bring you to the man you've been seeking. Follow me. He led them to Samaria. And it came to pass when they were coming to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they saw and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. Now remember I told you in the beginning of the message, this is a highly fortified city. They're in there. They come in there and they're just kind of like following along blindly. No pun intended. By now, their swords have probably been taken. Their weapons have been removed. They, Elisha gets the signal and he says, okay. He prays that God would restore their sight and he does. 
And now these men are, they're the ones that are surrounded. And the king says to Elisha, my father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? I think that's funny that it's repeated. Calm down, buddy. And he answered, Thou shalt not smite them. Wouldest thou smite those whom thou hast taken captive with thy sword and with the bow, or with the bow, excuse me? They're prisoners of war. Set bread and water before them. They may eat and drink and go to their master. And I got to tell you, you know, there's not a lot about this king necessarily we could say that's good. But one thing we could say that's good is he was told to set bread and water down. And notice what he does in verse 23. He prepared great provision for them. Now, why is that? Was he trying to be nice? Well, that, it could be. But I believe God was moving in this circumstance to give us a picture of something. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master. So the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. They went back safe and sound and then never came back. Why is that? Well, because when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. But in this army of Syrians, we see ourselves, don't we? Enemies against God. Who are coming dead set against God. And blinded. Not knowing where we're really going. And then one day, the glorious light of the gospel appears. And our sight is given to us. And what do we find do we find a vengeful king ready to slay us? No. We find one who offers us peace. And not just peace, but then a feast. Bountiful provision. Takes care of them. Once enemies. That was us. Beloved, we who are at enmity with God, blinded by our, the, the, our sin, by the God of this world, gospel appears, we're, we're given sight, and what, what are we given? We're given peace and safety. And I realize it's not an exact picture of everything, but boy, is it a good one, though. You imagine the gratitude those men had? Listen closely. Do you imagine the gratitude those men had? We could have been slaughtered. We could have been killed. But instead, we were given our lives and then sent away. You may amen that and say, that's right, brother. I believe that. I believe what Jesus did on the cross. I believe his resurrection. And that's why I'm saved. Because I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I've turned to God from my idols to serve the living and true God. And praise the Lord. If there's rejoicing in the presence of angels, there ought to be rejoicing in the presence of his people. Amen. Praise the Lord for people saved. But let me ask you this, believer. If you're willing to base your eternity on God's promises, why is it so hard to base your life here on God's promises? If we are willing to put our entire eternity under God's promises and ability to keep his word, why are we so fearful here in this life to trust in God's promises? I'll give you one reason. It's because we get distracted. We allow things to cloud and cover. We know enough to look, but we're not seeing like we ought to. And I pray that tonight, 
if the Lord spoke to your heart, the Holy Spirit worked in your heart, and he revealed areas that you need to see better in, you need to see your home better. You need to see this church better. You need to see your relationship with the Lord better. You need to see the world and the lost better. I don't, whatever it is, I know this, the Lord can do that. Because the same God that Elisha prayed to is the one you're about to. Don't, don't let that like excite you or anything. Elisha prayed to the same God you're about to. Lord, open his eyes that he might see. The same Jesus that that man in Mark chapter 8 was touched is the same Jesus we pray through. He's alive. He's powerful. He's well. Lord, open my eyes that I might see. Lord, I don't see like I ought. And I don't believe in second blessings. I don't believe in a second touch as it were. But I do know this, that Peter was a saved man that needed converted. That word converted means turned around. Why is that so important? Well, if you're not facing the right direction, you're surely not looking as you should be. And so I don't know what your need is tonight, but I pray this simple message with a simple story from the Old Testament, illustrated with some New Testament uh, folks, was enough to stir up your heart tonight. I know we got to look to Jesus. I don't want to just look. I want to see.